welcome back to another week of animation broadcast and cinema. I am Bo Allen. I'm Jacob Rodier. And we have another fun week ahead of us, starting off with something that I am personally shocked by. Um, the new Netflix movie, Red Notice, has been doing some numbers. Uh, Jacob, do you want to hi- highlight what exactly, what, what type of numbers they're doing? Yeah, they're doing some big numbers over there at Netflix. Uh, it was the biggest opening weekend ever, with a total of 148.7 million hours viewed, which is uh, pretty incredible that Netflix keeps on uh, topping their predecessor. I, Are you shocked by this? I am. Well, at first I was, because I thought this looked... I mean, I haven't seen it. I don't think you have either, right? No. But I think just by looking at the poster, you can automatically just tell what this movie is. And it's it's literally just, it looks so generic. And I caught a little bit of the trailer too. It just looks so generic that I thought people would kind of see that it's generic and not care about it. But at the same time, I realize this isn't surprising because it's three of like the biggest Hollywood stars right now in the business and they literally just plopped them on the poster with a red background just them and people ate it up and i think it's just a one big dumb action movie with three of the biggest stars right now and people just want a dumb flick to throw on in the background um yeah it the the trailer did absolutely nothing for me which is kind of shocking like to myself because I love movies like this, and I think there is a place for them. I'm not somebody who's going to, like, rail about what real cinema is. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, this... People will watch it. I I even thought, like, I'll eventually watch it, but I have no need to watch this on its opening weekend. Like, I've got other things I would rather be doing. And that's just not what happened. I mean, people streamed this out the ass, and what I... It's not even like the it's the three biggest actors, but really it's just like three super attractive people on a on a poster, like yeah. the three best looking people in Hollywood. It literally um, felt like a robot like created this movie. They just like chose the what, three yes. the three yeah like you said the three most attractive actors right now, the biggest names. All you have to see is their name, and people will watch it. Yeah, if you taught an AI to build a uh, Michael Bay movie, this is what it would spit out. <laughs> but, I mean, speaking of that, Underground 6 was a very similar thing with, you know, another Ryan Reynolds cast movie and some big-name stars in that. And they might turn that into a franchise. Um, and that did huge numbers. Extraction did huge numbers, just putting Chris Hemsworth um, and w- put a gun in his hand and put him <laughs> in some body armor. Uh is this what movies are going to be now? Marvel movies and just big name stars in tight fitting outfits. I mean, that's what superhero movies are too, man. Like that's this is what we're doing now. Yeah, I think Netflix no now knows what works and they're definitely going to just crank these out every every year. I I still think, I mean, they still have like great originals. Like The Power of the Dog is still coming out. It's apparently got great reviews. They still have these like little indie movies that come out, but I think they know what makes them the most money and they're just going to continue to make them. That's what I'm wondering about too is are they going to stop chasing that Oscar? They thought they had it with Roma. Like they've been mm-hmm. trying to get 
you know, they've been trying to prove themselves as a legitimate part of the film industry. And I mean, they are in terms of a place for people to watch movies, but production wise, they haven't gotten there yet. And people tend to like joke about a Netflix original, you know, I think it's viewed very much in the same vein as like CW projects Mm. are now. And so I think they're trying to shake that, but now I'm thinking they might ditch that almost entirely, maybe put out one of those types of movies a year, the indie type movies a year, and then just do more things like Red Notice, Extraction, Six Underground, and just fully lean into the cash cow. And if they do, I mean, they're definitely, I don't think they'll produce any movies that they think are going to win an Oscar. They will buy them, though. I think is what's going to happen. They're going to buy them and just be like a distributor for them. Because they didn't produce Roma. They just bought that. Right. Um, the Irishman, I think they did have a role in production. Mm-hmm. I don't think they bought that from Scorsese. I think they did that with him. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't see... Uh, I Just looking at the numbers and stuff, I don't understand how why they would shy away from this. and they, They're just going to lean fully in on it, right? Like... Yeah, I mean, also, I think people are starting to catch on now that a lot of these movies that Netflix is making, they they don't they don't like lie or or, or like uh, about their numbers at all, but they're they're skewing it in a way where they can say it's the number one movie in the world every time one of their movies comes out. They either say it was like in the first twenty four hours, or the first day, or the first weekend, or the first five days. They make up some metric where they can be always number one, and they push that in their marketing a ton. I see it everywhere, like especially for Red Notice. I mean, it did break uh, a record for the most uh, opening weekend ever, most hours viewed, which is fairly impressive. But still, they they push that one hundred percent, and I think that just helps with their marketing, and, and they know what they're doing, and they're just gonna keep doing it. Yeah, um, I mean, that kind of sucks, though. Like, their metrics, too, are really screwed up and like, that sometimes they'll count a click as a play or two minutes watched Mm. as a play. But, like, meanwhile, we have, like, genuine, like, really, really good movies, original movies, like, falling by the wayside and struggling in theaters. Like, um, I mean, The French Dispatch did a 31.9% drop in... Uh, oh god in ticket sales this weekend and then it it did a million but it's only grossed 11 million total like these movies are struggling and um, other kind of cut and paste movies are and I'm I'm doing the cinema thing I guess but the other cut and paste movies are getting this huge play I mean it's it's, kind of like we talked about before just like right now it's only huge budget movies or super small indie movies and that mid-budget is just kind of gone and not even like Netflix is doing it right Belfast did a million Um, I saw that yesterday by the way we can get into it a little later Venom Let There Be Carnage uh, is still at number they they were number five this week uh, yeah I saw it still playing in theaters yep they're They're milking that thing 202 million total. That's crazy. Um, no Time to Die, number four. The t- So the top five this week are all big franchises. Eternals, Dune, No Time to Die, Venom, and number two is Clifford the Dog. <laughs> Hell yeah. I, l- I love it. I want Clifford. I want to see Clifford. Represent, man. That's my, <laughs> that was my childhood. I love it. Same, um, but I'm not seeing that movie. <laughs> 
I'm not either. I was, I'm, uh, well, no. Yeah, no. Well, no. I'm surprised um, the reviews weren't worse than they were. They were like, uh, I saw some like that were like, besides a couple bad jokes, um, genuine heartfelt movie, and I was like, oh, I, can, I can get behind that. The Red Notice reviews are terrible, though. Like, they're like, the jokes aren't funny, and the action is bad. Like, it's nothing has pitched me on watching this movie at all. Yeah, but the thing and is, I'm, I feel like the people even making this knew that it was bad. They knew exactly what they were making, but they still made it because they know it's going to sell. People want that type of movie. It it really looks like it was put together kind of shittily. Yeah. And not even, like, The Rock will promote the hell out of anything. Like, he's he's talked more about Black Adam than he has about this movie. Mm. I mean, I've seen Ryan Reynolds push this movie hard recently. Really? Especially on, like, Twitter and Instagram. I don't know about Gal Gadot, but... Yeah, Ryan Reynolds has been pushing it. So, it was directed by Ross and Marshall Thurber, who did uh, Dodgeball, a true underdog story. Great movie. One of, great movie. He did We're the Millers. Great movie. Um, he did that Central Intelligence movie, uh, the Kevin Hart, Dwayne mm. Johnson movie yep. uh, with Fat the Rock in it. Um, he did Skyscraper. Ooh. And then he did uh, Red Notice. Those are just some highlights. He's oh, so he's got like, a good relationship with the Rock. Right. Um, and the thing is, in this movie, you could just tell just by looking at it that they all play their usual selves. Like the Rock just plays the Rock. Ryan Reynolds just plays himself. Gal Gadot just plays her usual self. Yeah, it's all, it's it's just, all the same. You know exactly yeah. what you get when you watch this. It's that meme that's been going around recently of like top actors that just play themselves in a movie. Like, it's just that. That's the movie. Yep. I'm, um, I don't, I, I don't like this. <laughs> and I don't want to, and it sucks so bad because I don't want to be that guy that's like, this isn't a real movie, but like, it's almost not, you know, like. It's just fascinating to watch Netflix do this right in front of our faces. And the I'm going to be so. eating it up. I'm going to be so hypocritical, too, because I know I'm going to watch this, and then I'm going to give it, like, three stars on Letterboxd because I'm never mean to movies, and I'm going to be like, this was fun. You guys are just mean. Like, <laughs> I already know I'm going to do that. the majority of people. God. Either that or I'm going to fall asleep and I'm going to hate it. Um, <laughs> we will see. But uh, speaking of big corporate franchise cynicism, Spider-Man trailer. Yeah. God. Oh, man. I have talked about it on here. I live and breathe Spider-Man. Grew up on the Tobey Maguire movies. I think I broke the VHS tape. <laughs> um, I mean, it's my favorite superhero. I read the freaking comic books. I got the Marvel Unlimited subscription so I can read the old ones. And I've read so much stuff. And I it's so much useless Spider-Man knowledge. And we are confirmed getting multiverse stuff. Well, it was already confirmed we were getting multiverse stuff, but, like, I don't know how much we can go into it because some people are trying to avoid the trailer somehow. Um, and we can I talk mean, about it. All right, you think? Well, the every villain in this movie is a villain we have seen before from a previous universe. Um, it's going to be super interesting because the way Doctor Strange says it in 
the trailer is that all of these villains are slated to are like fated to die fighting Spider-Man. Not killed by Spider-Man, you know, cuz Spider-Man really doesn't kill anybody he fights, but he like they they usually end up killing themselves on accident. Um and so I guess they're either trying to get them back into their own universe or just kill them here. I have I have in in the 616 MCU universe. But I have I have no idea how it's gonna go down. Um, yeah, I really liked but, how uh, it seems like Doc Ock and Peter are gonna have a, a friendly relationship, which I did not see coming. Yeah, I'm interested to see how they do that. Um, Alfred Molina is so good. I'm very pumped about a lot of things. I think I am most excited about Willem Dafoe Green Goblin um, because yeah. I mean, there's a long, long uh, debate about especially in like the Spider-Man comic community about who is Spider-Man's, you know, biggest villain, his real arch nemesis. And a lot of people lean Doc Ock. Um, but I'm, there's a, there's a good bit of Green Goblin. I'm the Green Goblin camp. I mean, he killed Gwen Stacy. He's nobody's tormented him more. And now he's back and like the greatest live action Green Goblin ever is coming back to do it again. It was so nice I, just seeing him fly on screen in that trailer. And his uh, his laugh, and he get and he gets a little monologue too, talking to people. He's so good. I'm mm-hmm. probably gonna rewatch that movie tonight. Willem Dafoe is one of my favorite actors, and he's so good at the Green Goblin. Yeah, um, I mean, just like you, I grew up with the the Tobey Maguire Spider Mans too, and they were just a staple in my childhood. And I think they were a staple for a lot of people's childhood, and that's right. just gonna help this movie even more. I wonder if I forgot where I was going with this. Um, but I, another thing I was thinking about. So since he said these are villains that are slated to die fighting Spider-Man, it makes me think that the way the you know the way the time travel and the multiple universes stuff works in Marvel is very iffy. It hasn't been explained super well, but it's making me think that maybe they were plucked out. Like, like Green Goblin's getting pulled out from 2002 and all of a sudden he's in, like, 2023 or whatever this Marvel timeline's supposed to be in, right? Mm. Like, it's not a, a, it's not a Green Goblin that runs adjacent to this time in the Marvel Universe. It can't really be, right? Yeah, I don't... Because if they're, if they're fated to die, I think that means they're getting... Like, we're getting Jamie Foxx pulled out of 2014, like... Yeah, the lizard and pulled out of twenty twelve. Doc like, Ock, like he looks the same as he did in the original. They didn't make him look older, and they could have done that. So right, um, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm, and the the Toby and Andrew stuff we've talked about. I know we've talked about this before when that first trailer came out. Um, I have very mixed feelings on it because I love both of them. Um, I think Jacob is of the camp that he definitely wants to see it, right? Okay, yes, because, I th- and I think Marvel did this on purpose too, why they didn't show him in the trailer, is because they know the theater reaction is going to be crazy when they get revealed. And it it's going to be, be amazing just sitting there with a bunch of Spider-Man fans in a sold-out theater just clapping and screaming at Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire just popping on screen. If If they do it, 
and I th- I'm thinking they will. It seems like they will. I will be happy. I will if they play the Tobey Maguire theme music. I will probably cry <laughs> in the theater. I'm not kidding. Like a hundred percent will. Um, it's gonna be just like an Endgame when Cat picks up Thor's hammer. People are just gonna freak out, and it's gonna yeah. be amazing. And I'm gonna be like, shut the hell up. I'm trying to take <laughs> this in. It's gonna it's gonna drive me insane. But um i'm also like the the i think the arguments between who's the best spider-man and all this stuff is so played out and i think tom holland gets the brunt of the hate at this point honestly it's on it's kind of like what happened with the prequels and the sequels is like this new stuff came out and everybody was like oh no the prequels are actually good and then, like, Andrew Garfield's getting a little revisionist history. And I, I've always actually loved Andrew Garfield. His movies are bad, but he was really good at it. That's a conversation for another day. Um, but I feel like like everybody's always like, oh, Toby's so much better than Tom. I disagree with that. I love Toby, but I think Tom is the better Spider-Man. And I feel like he will just get overshadowed if there's a frame of either of those guys in this movie, you know? And I, which, if potentially this is his last Spider-Man movie, I think that would be a shitty way to end his character. Yeah, but I think John Watts is directing this, right? Right. And, yeah, he's a big Spider-Man thing, fan, and I think he knows that he needs to respect the main Spider-Man and Tom Holland. And I think if they are in this, which they probably will be, I don't think they're going to have as big as a role as people think. Like, I think they will be there and they will have their moment, but I, I think this, this movie is really going to star Tom Holland and that's it. I think so too. I definitely don't think it'll be like a into the spider verse, like multiple mm, right. Spider-Man trying to solve a problem. Like it's yeah. not going to be that. I think people think we're going to, it's going to be that it's not going to be that. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested to see, I've heard rumors of Charlie Cox's daredevil being in it. I really hope so because I yeah you and me both we love Daredevil the it's, show. That show is so good, incredible. It's so good. It I cannot put into words how much I love that show. Um, I it's it, I I think with Daredevil, Charlie Cox is so good at it that I put him in the J.K. Simmons. I put Willem Dafoe in that pantheon too of like actors who embody the character so yeah. well that i can't see anyone else doing it like mm-hmm. fuck ben affleck tony <laughs> well i'm not trying to shoot it straight at ben <laughs> i like ben um but you know like like and i think rdj is tony stark is definitely there ryan reynolds is deadpool is definitely there mm-hmm. um and i think charlie cox like if i think of daredevil and i have a ton of daredevil comics too actually like he's like a top five superhero of mine, and he he is there. Like he just is. He is Matt Murdock. Yeah, God, I, I oh. don't. I, it's tough because there's already so many characters in this movie, and also they announced that this movie is two hours and forty nine minutes. I think, which is wild, a super long Marvel movie, but it kind of needs to be with the amount of characters that's in it. So I really don't know how many characters they can add without it being too convoluted. And also uh, with, um, this is a Let There Be Carnage spoiler, uh, if you guys haven't seen it. Venom might be in this movie too, <laughs> which is crazy. 
Um, I was wondering just how so... long we would go before spoiling that. It's it's been long enough. But I know. It's there's just so many characters that they're teasing for this movie that all of them just cannot be in it. It would be too much for the the movie itself, and that would overshadow Tom Holland. I think I I I. So we were talking. Jacob and I were talking about Tom Holland's contract stuff. I think he'll probably resign at least for a team up movie. But I mean, he's. I don't think Venom's going to be in this one. He. Sh- I don't think he should be. Because it, it's Venom, tough because the after credit scene showed Tom Holland in the I know. scene, and it really made it seem like Venom was going straight after him. Yeah, but that's got to be a solo movie. I could totally see see it being a solo movie, but I don't know. I feel like they wouldn't have put it at the end of that movie if it wasn't going to be in this movie. We need to so that Venom. Let's do let's do this now. Let's do the Venom talk. Uh, break the, like the talk about that scene so i really thought that we were just gonna get like a toby Maguire reference when venom was telling him like my knowledge spans like hundreds of universes and stuff because we're a hive mind i was like oh shit we're just gonna get like a flash of like toby Maguire and like i thought maybe the church tower and so or something like that mm. and then the big venom monster he turns into and then the pumpkin bomb blows him up you know yeah i thought it was gonna be like that and because in the Morbius trailer, like it's a the original the first one, it's a picture of Spider Man in the Tobey Maguire suit that says murderer, and I was like, oh okay, like this is gonna be connected to that universe maybe, or be run parallel to that universe, and then all of a sudden when it flashed and it was like Doctor Strange's actual like magic looked like it washed over him. Yeah, that's gotta be in that in that scene where everything breaks. But I don't I don't know, man. I feel like Venom. We can't. We learned in Spider-Man Three, you can't make Venom a subplot. That was a movie where Sandman was the main villain, pretty much, but Venom ended up showing up at the end. It's got to be like a uh, a movie. It's got to be a movie by itself. Well, know? the thing is, in this in this Spider-Man movie coming up, obviously there needs to be someone else on Tom Holland's team. He can't be fighting all these villains by himself. Three, it's impossible. Yes, the other two Spider-Man. Well, that's what I'm saying. So it's either the other two Spider-Man or maybe Venom teams up with him. Maybe Daredevil teams up with him. There's all these possibilities of people that can team up with him to, to help fight off these villains. Um, I keep losing my train of thought today, man. I'm, uh, I don't know what is going on. Um, well, crap. I had it and I lost it again. This is, this is great content right here (laughs) i'm really bringing the a game today um i don't think it'd be daredevil uh, but it's so weird it's okay so i got it i got it back i vamped for long enough wow that was uh, thank you for sticking with me for that um okay he can take on all these villains by himself the sinister six is like a big comic line like that he does he by himself takes all these guys down and that's what I wanted like that's what I most want I do eventually want to see all three on the screen together I get I think this is probably the best time to do it um and it's probably how it's gonna go but like at some point I need to see Spider-Man to take on this, a Sinister Six incarnation by himself 
Yeah, but I feel like in the storyline, he's not at that level yet where he's strong enough to do that. Maybe this is the movie where he gets strong enough to do that. Like, Maybe. come on. He's never strong enough to do anything, but then he always like pulls that last bit of will together and he does the damn thing. Like That's why I like Spider-Man so much. It's the determination. It's not giving up. It's awesome. Well, we'll find out. We will find out. I can't wait to like just do like two hours on Spider-Man. That's <laughs> going to be the movie of the week. Um, tickets go on sale November 29th. Actually, everybody forget I said that because I want to make sure I get the best seats. I'm not... I'm done talking about that, actually. <laughs> Fuck it. All Fuck your the Athens audience. fans. Fuck the audience. <laughs> I am... <laughs> I have my alerts set already. Um, all right, so besides our movie of the week, Jacob, did you watch anything interesting this week? Um, no, I was pretty busy. I had two uh, music video shoots this weekend, so I was had no time. But I did catch the movie Belfast this, uh, yesterday, which has been getting pretty rave reviews it, it won out toronto international film fest it won out a couple other film festivals um people seem to be liking it um i really have no comment on this movie it was a movie <laughs> that i watched and that's about it wow we are doing great i'll be content creation today man we i gotta say <laughs> I just, I didn't get it. I don't understand why this movie is as popular as it is. And I really hope it does not get any Oscars. <laughs> I've heard rumbling about um, the international Oscar, international best picture. Uh, well, it is fully in English, so I don't think that would be the case. I mean, it's not, no, no, dude, it's not. It's a foreign best foreign film. That doesn't mean not in English. It's an English picture, right? Like England picture, right? Uh, yeah, it takes place in Ireland. Yeah, Ireland. Okay, like I've seen that it's gonna be a nominee from the UK. Really? Yeah. Even if it was produced by American. What what company was it produced by? Um. Oh, actually, it did have some Ireland ones in the beginning. I remember. Um. Interesting. I didn't know that this type of movie could be uh, nominated for international. It very much seemed like an uh, an American film. Um, I swear, I've. I mean, it, it's a it's a UK cast. Well, honestly, I'm all for it being international and not being on any of the other awards. So that's good with me. <laughs> but yeah, um, this, this movie, I just I didn't get it. It wasn't for me. The cinematography was all over the place. The pacing was all over the place. Acting was fine. The black and white wasn't even that great. I don't know. I was just I was bored immediately and stayed bored throughout the entire thing. What a what a that. what a review. So yeah, my week was pretty boring. What'd you watch? I had a shit week too. I'm really glad I added this as a segment. <laughs> I'm really glad I put this in. Um. I started, well, okay, I, I've been watching, like, a new TV show. I, I'm catching up on uh, the animated DC, like, Teen Titan Young Justice show, you know? Mm -hmm. It's really good, and that's absorbed, like, all of my movie watching time since uh, I saw Last Night in Soho and The French Dispatch and, you know, our movies for last week. And I did watch Ford uh, vs. Ferrari 
for mm. my film class that I'm in. Uh, I liked that a lot. I, I was a big fan of that movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. I thought it was a little I'm, too long at some points, but overall, solid, solid biopic. My review for it was literally like, this movie didn't need to be two hours and 35 minutes, yeah. but it was fun. There's definitely some fat that we could have trimmed off of there, but uh, I enjoyed it. Love seeing Bale and Damon go at it for a little bit. Yeah, that movie could have been 120 minutes, and I would have been fine. Yeah, the racing shots were really well done, though. The racing shots were fantastic. I loved. Uh, so the paper I had to write was on was like a character study on, mm-hmm. um, you know, on on it, there's a list of movies, and so I wrote about how like uh, how well Damon and uh, Bale's characters were written separately and. Uh, and then I, when they're together, it's almost like they were kind of one character and they really highlighted that in the racing scenes where like Damon where Bale's behind the wheel and Damon's like, wait, wait, wait now. And then Bale shifts and he just takes off and would pass, you know, and win. And it, I, I, it was a very interesting movie. Michael Mann produced it and he's really, really good with character work. Um, and so I was expecting that going in. Yeah, that was a solid movie. Their fights were also freaking hilarious. Yeah, that was the best part. <laughs> when they're f- fighting in like his front yard after he grabs the uh, the groceries and he picks and Christian Bale picks up the can ready to smash Matt Damon over the head with it and then drops it and picks up the bread <laughs> and starts hitting him in the head with bread. Oh my god! Um, and then <laughs> his wife saying, "Do you do you boys want a soda?" and Bale's like, yeah, and <laughs> Matt David says, yeah, and Bale goes, no, 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 he can get his own, don't get him one, don't get him one. Yeah, they had great <laughs> so chemistry. So funny. Ton of fun. I mean, it was like they were just fighting like brothers, I loved it. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, um, it was a down week in terms of releases, though, for sure. Um, I mean, the biggest release was Clifford, but we are getting a little better this week. With King Richard, something I'm not quite interested in, and Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I unfortunately am very interested <laughs> in because I love Ghostbusters. Um, the thing about this Ghostbusters, which is interesting, is that the first one didn't take itself very seriously. Like, it was a bunch of degenerates that were going out and hunting ghosts, and they kind of were, like, making fun of it in a way. But in this one, based on the trailer, they just seem to be taking it, like, super serious. Like, this is the Ghostbusters. We're going out hunting ghosts. Like, they seem to not be getting the vibe of the first one, and I I totally get why they're going this direction, but it just seems off from the original. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think that's they tried to do a pretty much straight comedic reboot um, with, you know, the Melissa McCarthy and Kristen mm. Wiig and stuff. And that movie failed, and I don't think... It, it definitely wasn't because it was an all-female cast. The mm-hmm. the women who were in it are hilarious. Um, I think it was because they kind of straight up tried to do the same exact thing. Right. And we've seen that before. It's unoriginal. And that style of comedy just doesn't really translate anymore i mean if you watch ghostbusters it's great but like trying to recreate that now does not work as well 
but I think the way to do this is to do it almost like a Marvel movie, which is what it looks like it's going to be like, yeah. where it's takes itself. Uh, it looks like it takes itself a little bit more seriously, but it still is a comedy. It says it on the genres. It says adventure, comedy, fantasy. Like yeah, I mean it's starring Paul Rudd too, and it's just I think it's going to be like quippier and wittier, you know, and not as much like. I mean, like Bill Murray, Bill Murray, Bill Murray, is like saying some raunchy shit to Sigourney Weaver in that movie. Yeah, it's that's not happening anymore. Um, but I think I'm I've got high hopes for this. I do. All the original cast is back except for Harold Ramis, obviously. I mean, yeah, they're probably just gonna be cameos, but still fun. I don't care as long as they're in it, man. That's that's like a, that's a that's the blessing right there, in my opinion. Yeah. Plus, I like the actors in it. Like, I like I'm a big Finn Wolfhard guy. Yeah. Who doesn't like Finn Wolfhard? It great movie. He's a solid actor. McKenna Grace, the young Madison and Malignant. We got some right. star-studded actors here. We are killing it. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably not gonna see it, but we'll keep you posted. Oh man, I had I forgot I watched another movie. My movie. I'll throw this in there real quick. I I rewatched the back half of the first Conjuring and the entirety of the second Conjuring. Nice. Because my girlfriend and I tried to watch the first Conjuring on Halloween, and she couldn't do it. She too scared. <laughs> she got too scared. Wow. It's a, uh, this weekend, she was like, "All right, uh, let's finish it." We finish it. I was like, "See, that wasn't too bad." And then we watched the second one. Two nights in a row, she had nightmares. <laughs> uh, I remember I, I saw the second one. I was a little drunk. I was in theaters. I was laughing the whole time. <laughs> Every jump scare, I was laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's amazing. I have friends who went to see, um, they saw it in theaters when it came out and they, I didn't go with them, but they were like a little, little wine drunk. And <laughs> they said it was one of the funniest movies they've ever seen. I saw that, but meanwhile, like I saw that shit alone in my basement, in my room that has no windows. And I was like, okay, this is a little fucking freaky. Like, I don't know why, but when you drink and then go watch a horror movie, there's something about it that just makes it hilarious. It really is funny to watch them drunk. I think I saw The Conjuring the first time, and I, my friend and I had had a few, and I was like, this isn't that scary. Yeah. But I'll admit, when I was watching it with my girl, <laughs> I was watching it with my girlfriend that Halloween night, I was just, like stone cold sober, and I was like, oh, this, this no, is the worst I remember. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Um... Yeah, she had, she slept, she had to sleep with a, uh, I don't know if she's going to be mad that I'm saying this. She had to sleep with a light on the uh, second night. <laughs> nice. Oh, no, that was on Monday night. Um, it was hilarious. <laughs> um, scary movies. So I'm going to ease up on the horror movies, I guess, when I'm with her for, for, for a while. Okay, uh, House of Gucci's coming next week. Uh, we, I don't feel like we need, we've, we've talked enough about that, right? Do we mm-hmm. need to hit that? Um, nope. then we have West Side Story, December 10th, uh, Red Rocket, December 10th, yeah. which will be very interesting. Yeah, that was supposed to premiere. Well, it did premiere already, but there's supposed to be another big premiere at the Astroworld Fest, but no note of that anymore. 
I did not know about that. Because um, I think I think it, it took place in Texas and it was a big uh, Texas did. film, so they want to show it in Houston. But isn't this Simon? Wasn't this Simon Rex guy like a TikTok comedian? I don't know much or about Vine? him. I think wasn't he a porn star or is that just the role he's playing? I think that's just the role he's playing, right? I don't know because oh. I know I know Sean Baker casts like realistic people and has them portray themselves. So he definitely was. <laughs> Did you look him up? I'm on the IMDb right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I looked up th- his name and saw I, some no, interesting pictures. I haven't I haven't clicked anything, but I'm looking at some names right here. Um, this X-X-X. one. Is, well, this one's just a blatant ripoff of. The name, Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer and Friday the 13th. It's called Shriek If You Know What I Did Last Friday the 13th. <laughs> oh, wait, no, this is a genuine parody movie. Wow. It's a comedy horror. But this one is definitely adult. Um, yeah, I think he did. Uh, I think he does have a, a porn history. This is interesting because they, well, for one, I did not know that IMDb listed adult films hey they're films but he's also going in and out of like real roles kind of too um i don't know if i can say some of these names on here because i do list us under explicit on apple mute on apple Podcasts, but i do not know if this is the content we want to lean into yeah but either way Um, he does have like a, a porn history which is why i think he was cast in this role he does um wow i mean i'm gonna go see it it looks interesting oh yeah sean baker yeah. This I love Sean weird. Baker. Oh, he's also a rapper. I did Google him now. This is strange. I swear he used to be a Vine star. Maybe. I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe we'll weird. find out in the movie. You think there's going to be a Vine segment on Maybe. in it? He looks... <sighs> I've seen... He's been in, he's been in um, you know, other real productions since then. Um, oh, well, real. He's in the Scary Movie series, and he's uh, on the soundtrack of 21 Jump Street. <laughs> That's so random. Yeah. He plays uh, in a short called Racist Superman. He plays Jewish Superman, so... Whoa. I kind of want to that. It's very interesting. Um, all right. Uh, and then, okay, I'm skipping over some shit, but... I'm so mad. Did Lick okay? Somebody has to explain to me what happened with Licorice Pizza because that's the reason that we're doing this. The premiere was the 24th, and it said it was the 24th of November on IMDb, and I was under the impression that is when the nationwide release was, but now it's under December 25th. What's what are we doing here? Uh, yeah, I think they had it for a while as doing it in November as the nationwide. But I think they switched it kind of recently. Um, but it makes sense because they're going for the Oscar run, and this is the way to do it. You have to do a little limited release before the nationwide, because it's going to time up exactly with uh, the Oscar campaign and when nominations go out and stuff. So they know what they're doing, and props to PTA because I would love for him to take over the Oscars like he usually does. I do too, but you get to see it before me, so fuck you. <laughs> like, I have to wait till December 25th because I don't live near New York City. Like, uh. I mean, so is the majority of people. So, 
Okay, well, I don't want to be the majority of people because <laughs> the reviews for Licorice Pizza are amazing. Yeah, they're good. The, they're really good so I far. I saw one that said "God tier," which is a little extreme, but it's God tier PTA. Movie. Yeah, I mean, any PTA could be said as God tier. So yeah, what what move what what movie of his isn't? Um, I don't see Louise Guzman on the cast list here. Hmm. Fought little trouble in paradise. PTA know. loves some Louise Guzman. That is very true. Isn't he in like all of his movies? Uh, no, he's not in Phantom Thread. Oh yeah, that would make sense though. <laughs> that would be so funny if he appeared in Phantom Thread. That would be a real weird pop up. <laughs> like I would be, that I'm, would be I'm truly shocking. With my wife. <laughs> And that is that a movie set in like Eng- I haven't seen that one. I, I haven't I have seen about half of his movies. Yeah, you gotta catch up, man. I know. Okay, I know. And hey, you just watched another one for today's episode. I did. We we will get there in a minute. Um, I didn't know he directed so many Haim music videos. Yeah, I've actually they're great. I've I've seen them. I like Haim. I don't really listen to much of their. I mean, I don't really watch their music. I videos, only watched but... it because PTA directed them, and they're great. that's that's awesome um that's i i can't wait for this movie it's a like i've literally somebody was just like the review was just like it's everything you want and i was like i want that's cool like all right i'm okay with that no the reviews are, are very promising so i am very excited i mean i the um i'm just looking through like set photos right now and, um, wait, what? There's a weird, somebody got a picture and it's up on the, uh, IMDb and of one, it's one scene and two main characters are wearing masks. I don't want spoilers. No, 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 no. They're wearing like COVID masks. Oh, it's like a BTS picture. Yeah. Are they digitally removing COVID masks? No, for productions. They have to wear masks anytime they're not filming. No, but this looks like they are filming. Maybe they're just rehearsing blocking. Yeah, yeah. Actually, no, they're they're pretty strict that, about. COVID that would laws, make more sense. I was just Paul wondering Shear if they were going to try and. Yes, yeah, but I was just wondering if they were going to like CGI, nah. try and CGI out masks, but that wouldn't make sense for a PTA movie. I just had a very weird, nah. like confused moment there. Um, I can't wait. December's a big month. Tragedy Macbeth comes out that same day, and so I'm going to have to, like, make it a... I mean, I'm going to see Licorice Pizza first, but... Tragedy Macbeth is going to be great. Matrix Resurrections comes out the 22nd. Um, it's looking good. Exciting month. And then uh, Spider-Man No Way Home will be the month before that. And Nightmare Alley, too, comes out the same day as No Way Home. Oh, brother. I am pumped. I feel bad for the box office for that movie. For what? I feel bad for the it's, box office for that movie. It's I love Guillermo del Toro, but he is about to get just dunked Annihilated. on by Marvel. <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home might get a billy in a pandemic. Like, it, it might. <laughs> yeah. This movie has been hyped up for, like, three years. Like, No, it's going to be a huge the, movie. Um... 
it's a that's also a huge week for Bradley Cooper. December seventeenth, Night Nightmare Alley, and then a week later, Licorice Pizza. Eight days later, Bradley Cooper is just like he's got his feet kicked up. He's doing whatever he wants to. He's voicing a raccoon in Marvel movies. He's having fun. <laughs> oh yeah, now he has a great career. That's gonna be awesome going to a premiere for a Guillermo del Toro movie, and then a week later going to a premiere for a Licorice Pizza. Oh yeah, I think a lot. I've seen recently a lot of actors kind of like double dip in movies. They kind of have two movies coming out at the same time, so they have to do like two press tours at once, basically. Dune and uh, French, French Dispatch, Dispatch, Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, yeah, he did the same thing. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. More of that. Um, all right. Speaking of PTA, do you want to transition on over to Punch Drunk Love? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. I hope I'm not boring. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah. Hope I'm not boring you. <laughs> All right. We will be right back. Hey everybody, it's Bo here to tell you about our sponsor, Album Book Club. It is a book club, but you know, for albums and uh they have weekly picks that they put out on their Twitter at Album Book Club One and they uh, have curators that choose picks week by week. Uh, it can range from hip hop to bluegrass to death metal to indie to pop. It's all over the place. Uh, it's a great way to discover new music. I've been following them and working with them for quite some time. They also put out their magazines on albumbookclub.com. They just put out an issue with Osar and Paris Price. They have great merch over there. It's all great-looking stuff. Um, definitely check them out. Give the Twitter a follow. Give the page um, a look. It's great stuff. You're not going to be disappointed. Good way to discover music. Let's get back to the movie. And we're back, and we are here to talk about Punch Drunk Love. A little yes. PTA action. The first of our... Uh, two-week series on PTA, um, little director battle between the Coen brothers and PTA, too. And might I say, a great upset this week. Yeah, so we really thought Boogie Nights was going to win, um, especially just because, I mean, that's probably the most popular PTA movie, either that or, um, There Will Be Blood, Blood. I would say. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and so... It's, it was a real shock that to me that Punch Rook Love upset it. Like, yeah, completely did not see that coming. Uh, it, I, I can't even really think of why it happened. I mean, I, I know, know maybe you Adam love- Sandler. Um, I've advocated I love this movie a lot. Right. It's my favorite PTA. But yeah, I don't know. Shout out the audience because I'm glad we got to watch this because this is Bo's first time watching. Yeah, it's and it's also one that I've been. It's another one that I've been wanting to watch. Um, so before we get into this, do you want to run through the stars and the plot? Yeah. So Punch Drunk Love came out in uh, two thousand two. Um, this movie is directed and written by the Paul Thomas Anderson. It stars the iconic Adam Sandler. This was kind of the role where people started to really take him seriously, which is a, a big turning point in his career. 
Um, also stars Emily Watson and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And also Louise Guzman. He's got a nice little role in this too. Um, and um, synopsis is a frustrated Barry Egan calls a phone sex line to curb his loneliness. Little does he know that he will land in huge trouble and will also jeopardize his relationship with Lena. Um, um, also, okay. just I was going to go into the crew real quick. The cinematography by Robert Elswit, who also did There Will Be Blood. Um, he's also known for Nightcrawler as well. Um, he did Inherit Vice. He's done Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. He's got a, a nice list. Cinematography is amazing, this movie. And also, the score by the John Bryan, who has worked with PTA before in Magnolia. And he also did... Um, he's worked with Charlie Kaufman a bunch. He did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Synecdoche, New York. And yeah. In terms of reviews, I mean, it's a 78 Metascore out of, you know, compiled on 37 critic reviews. And there's not really a lot of in-between here. It's either people really loved it or really hated it. There's a lot mm -hmm. more love than hate for this movie. Um, the people that hate it just kind they they like pretty much don't see a point in it is what I'm I'm gathering. Um somebody so from the Charlotte Observer, uh Lawrence Topman says that it buries a terrific performance by Adam Sandler under a heap of faux cleverness, meaningless symbolism and irritating mannerisms. Mm. And Lou Limnick from the New York Post uh said it's a weird series of non sequiturs. Uh, the, the biggest question, and it seems like everybody goes back and forth on this and the bigger, uh, the, the bigger, you know, Roger Ebert loved it. Um, USA Today loved it. The bigger newspapers and websites and magazines all loved it. The ones that people really go to, but nobody can really decide actually shockingly if Adam Sandler can act. Well, this was the, the turning point for him. Before right, this, he was but, known for Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. He was a dumb like comedy director. And those actor. have their place, and I love those movies. Um, oh yeah, they're amazing. I'm not saying but, that, but he was known for something completely different than this movie. And PTA kind of just changed the perspective of what we thought about Adam Sandler. Well, yes, but like the New York Daily News had whether Adam Sandler can actually act is not actually answered in this uh, PTA Punch Drunk Love, mm. but. Like, so people still don't, they, it seems like they don't know. And so when I started it, I texted you and I said, I, I have never seen Adam Sandler like this because like you said, at this point it was Happy Gilmore. It was Billy Madison. Um, I think he also, he, he had the wedding singer out by now. Mm -hmm. um, he had done SNL. He was a, a household name um he had the water boy and you also he, went into this seeing uncut gems too and that's a wildly different performance than this right he i mean so he did snl and then he started cranking out movies he mm. did billy madison right after he left the show then happy gilmore and then it's if you look at his IMDb, it's a lot of hit or miss, like a movie called Bulletproof. Uh, that, that clearly is not held up. I have never heard of that. The Wedding Singer held the test of time. The Waterboy, Big Daddy did. Then he worked on and had an uncut 
a, a oh my god a uh, uncredited role in Deuce Bigelow Male Gigolo, that Little Nicky movie which people hate, The Animal which was that Rob Schneider movie that is not great, um, and then he did Punch Drunk Love, but that mm-hmm. same year he also did Mr. Deeds. Like it's <laughs> nobody knows what's going on with his career at that point. Like yeah. Uh, but then even then, after that, he's like, fuck it. I'm not going to be an actor anymore. Like, I'm going to keep doing these comedies, and I'm going to keep making movies with my friends and just having fun. And then he does... Um, funny People? Well, no. I mean, yeah, Funny People, yeah, that is that is a little bit more serious. It's like this: these cycles. In 2002, he does... Punch Drunk Love, and then in 2009, he's like, all right, I'm coming back with a more serious role with Funny People. And then in 2017, he comes back, and I'm going to do Uncut Gems. Or 2019, I'm going to do Uncut Gems. It's like almost a decade every time. Yeah, I think he he really just comes back to remind people that he can't act. He is a phenomenal actor. and But he just wants to keep making these comedy movies because that's what he loves doing. And that's who he is. So. Props to Adam Sandler, man. I respect his career wholeheartedly. I do, too. This was, um, so, from PTA, we had Hard Eight, which was his first movie, which I love, and then Boogie Nights, which is an iconic movie. I mean, like, probably his most well-known, we already said that, but, I mean, really, it's it's a, a masterpiece. Then Magnolia, which, it's I think it's a pretty big deal to go from Boogie Nights into, like, you, he takes that, like, little bit of credit he got with Hollywood and then was like, all right, time for a three-hour movie. Like, I mean, Boogie it, Nights is pretty long, too. Well, yeah, it's two hours and 30 minutes, but still, a three-hour movie, like, if we, we, we just talked about Spider-Man Far From Home or No Way Home being two hours and 50 minutes, but of course that movie is. And, like, a three-hour runtime makes people's ears perk up. Right, like there a lot of it's it always gets the question of will people actually get to see this? Yeah, people thought um, there were t- there were rumblings that in games three hour runtime was going to keep people out of the theater, which of course it's not. Mm-hmm. But people, but like some critics were worried about it. So for your third movie to be three hours long, that's I feel like that's notable. And then he follows that up with Punch Drunk Love, which is an hour and a half. Like, yeah, so I was watching uh, an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson at Cannes right after this movie premiered, and he was saying that obviously he loves making long movies, and with Punch Drunk, before he made it, he said, I want to make a 90-minute movie. He wanted oh, okay. to make an hour-and-a-half movie. Um, and he told his producer that, and his producer was like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you're, just, you're not going to do that. But he did, and he made it work beautifully. Um. He also said in the interview for Magnolia, he they asked him what two actors he wanted to work with the most. Have you seen this? Um, no. Is one Adam he, Sandler? He said Daniel Day Lewis and Adam uh, Sandler, and okay. people thought he was kidding. Yeah, it's funny because at the Cannes press interview, a billion people asked him like, "Why Adam Sandler? Why Adam Sandler? Like, why did you choose Adam Sandler? He's not known for this." And his answer every time was. He makes me laugh. He's funny. And that's it. That's That was his reasoning. And yeah. it's true. <laughs> Adam Sandler's hilarious. And that's all you kind of need. 
And right. Adam and Adam Sandler, from his point of view, he said that he almost he when he first uh, was offered, he was like scared, like he thought he was gonna ruin the movie because it's PTA. He's seen Magnolia. He saw how like amazing it was. He didn't want to ruin this movie from him, but PTA kind of convinced him. They talked. They became friends, and he destroyed it. I think also having Adam Sandler kind of throws you off for your expectations for this movie. Oh, yeah. I know people who haven't watched it because they think it's like a normal Adam Sandler movie. Well, I didn't even really think that. Um, I obviously knew, you know, it's Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, you know what you're going to get. But I thought it was going to be a little bit more... I thought it was going to be funnier. It's It's a funny movie, but... I didn't expect Adam Sandler's character to be so troubled. Mm, yeah. And in and, and one of the descriptions on IMDb, it says that, like, oh, he has all this stress on him because of the abuse he's taken from his seven sisters. And I'm like, okay, I can, like, I, I, I was expecting just somebody who was kind of an ass and, like, either that or maybe a little bit, a little timid and would, like, hide their hide themselves with jokes or something but he's like fully inside of himself and like sometimes can't even get out a sentence and it hurts to watch well it's interesting because this is like my fourth time or fifth time watching it probably and every time it gets funnier like i start laughing yeah. more and more every time and pta has said this is like a dark twisted comedy it is um I, but it's yeah not, it's I'm also not... it's also a lot more too I'm not saying it's not funny. It definitely is. There's a lot of really funny parts. Um, and I can definitely see how the performance will get funnier. But the first time watching it, and I think especially after you had seen previous Adam Sandler movies, like his characters are known for being these like bizarre, loud, wild characters. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he's playing this super introverted, a character who's hiding a lot of anger inside of himself. And like... For one, you're not you're not used to seeing him be that quiet and not yeah. singing and you know just lighting up the screen. You're not used that's just foreign to audiences at that point. And then to see it flip all of a sudden and go to the exact opposite, and it's now all of a sudden like uncontrollable rage was yeah. jarring to me. I could I figured that in that uh, scene where they're calling him, where his sisters are calling him gay boy over and over and over again, I could feel that he was about to do something, but actually watching him break those glass doors was like, like the air almost came out of my throat for a second. Like I was like, wait, what is happening? It, what it was the like, fuck, Barry? <laughs> that I was pretty that. funny. It was just um, like dead silence for two seconds. What the fuck, Barry? <laughs> They're so mean to him. I felt so bad for him. Oh, yeah. It's hard to watch. It's it's ridiculous. Me, I, seven I, sisters. That's a lot. I couldn't imagine. Couldn't imagine. No, um, but yeah, this this movie is hilarious, and it does have like its warm, dreamy moments, too, but it's, it's also very deeply intense and disturbing as well. It's also... The performances in it are weird. Nobody in this movie talks in a normal way there were part mm. like you know what i mean like at like barry and lena's conversations were so strange that at one point i was like 
Is this in English? I feel like this isn't it. It felt like a different language. Well, yeah, the, the so whole thing confused. was kind of like a, a fairy tale. It felt very yeah. dreamy. It did. No. And that was, um, I wanted to save this for a little later. I thought like the way he, he color graded everything was oh, awesome. And those beautiful. scenes driving through the car and you see like the blue tint goes over everything and there's that lens mm. flare and then the end when they hug and right before the movie ends and the blue lens flare goes over them again i was like oh this is awesome all the, uh, the color gradients too the color yes. gradients throughout like in the beginning the middle and the end oh it's it's great that um, those color gradients that happen like throughout mm-hmm. one it, it inspired my film a lot from the uh the beginning where i did the color um, but also, it, it definitely inspired Waves, too, with yeah. the, the color gradients. Um, you can definitely see how this movie has lingered on into other people's movies. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm looking at the poster again because the poster, like, the colors are great in that, too. Which like, one? It's, which is the the, IMD, the one that's on IMDb, the one of them kissing in the doorway. It's just, yeah. Right. It's just a still from the movie. But Incredible it's a really shot. good it's a really good example of, like, what a lot of that movie looks like. And... For some reason, I guess seeing this, always seeing this poster on my TV from like far away, I thought they were like in the arch, like gateway, walking into like a football stadium. I don't know why that is. Interesting. Like you didn't see the ocean behind them. I I <laughs> thought that was the stands from the other side. Like zoom, like sit back. I'm back. I'm backed up now. It looks like a football stadium, man. It looks like it could be. Like gray seats from far away, think like it was a football movie. No, I didn't think it was a football movie. I just thought they like got into a college stadium near them. I don't know, man. I live in Athens. Football's everything down here. <laughs> That's funny. It's the the. It's so weird. He he was such a bizarre character, and the whole time you're screaming at him, just tell somebody about the situation you're in, like. Tell this girl she's clearly cool, like with, with a lot of stuff, because you flew to Hawaii after one date. Like, tell her these people are after you because you called up the social security number. That I just remembered that him giving that sex line the social security number. I almost put my fist through my wall. I was like, how dumb can you be? It's not that he's dumb. He's lonely. I know he's lonely, but there's gotta be another phone sex line. <laughs> he gave them his address, full name, credit card, and social security number. I'm shocked he didn't give them the mother's maiden name and the name of his first pet. I yeah, mean, I mean, he's lonely and he's got anxiety, man. Let I know be. he does. I get it, but like leave him alone. He, he's got all the pudding cups. Just take a trip. <laughs> That's pretty genius. You're smart. Based, than that. based off a real thing that happened. Oh really? A guy spent three thousand dollars and got one point five million miles. Hey, props to that. Him. That is the most genius. Like those are invaluable. One point yeah. five. You will never. You can go anywhere for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's amazing. Amazing. I would do that shit for sure. Pudding. But that first frozen meal he looked like he was going to get, that looked good. Can't believe he put it back. (laughs) 
Um, Apparently, yeah. What I were you, what were your overall thoughts on the movie? I liked it a lot. Um, uh, it was really, it was good. It, it was uncomfortable, but like I it, not so much in a way that I like hate it. Like I like it when a movie makes you uncomfortable on purpose, like to like off like to offset you and like kind of like fuck up your expectations so they can show you something new, you know? Yeah, and I don't think like. Yeah, it, it definitely was, like, awkward. But I think most of the movie, PTA just did a great job of exaggerating all his emotions and what he was feeling. They kind of put the story, like, behind and put the, his emotions and feelings in front. Like, when he was happy and in love, the music was just in your face. Like, it was very bright, whimsical. But, yeah, when when he was, like, uh, anxiety and pressured and overwhelmed the the drum the the score was like very like all over the place with the drums like he was very chaotic mm-hmm. things were happening around him that were just nonsensical like it really just like he he PTA just did such a good job of elevating the character's emotions where you, you just feel everything when the the opening scene of the movie like oh, I love it completely threw me off yeah it's incredible it gets what me every the time. He- the the car crash i was like what are we doing here the, the piano did he, oh. did he imagine it like what is the car crash like did he imagine that i was so confused well to me i saw that everything that happened around him was all just reflections of what he was going through at the time mm-hmm. so i think at, at that time he was very overwhelmed and was i don't know just kind of like in a bad head space and that car crash kind of resembled that and and the piano as well like it was just so out of nowhere all of a sudden yeah. completely random like that was just kind of like his thoughts just going like crazy in his head and just like being overwhelmed and that just kind of resembled it perfectly because you got the exact same feeling that he was feeling it's a harmonium not a piano right <laughs> you dumbass harmonium and then at the end i did love the the uh closing shot where he's playing the harmonium and he's playing the score of the movie you know mm. i was like ah you 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 little genius pta you <laughs> like all right ah you spoil us paul thomas anderson ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so good um I, pta style too i feel like it's 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 the uh, it's kind of the same in every movie but he mixes it up and it's weird because it feels almost like a really. Does it ever feel like it's a super like standard movie to you? But it's there's little subtleties that sets it apart from everything else. Does that make sense? Yeah, but no, I, I don't think so. Like like I said before, I I feel like the story was kind of put on the back burner, and it was really just kind of letting his emotions fly. Right. Like for, for this this movie, which kind of one of the reasons why I love it so much is, it makes you feel something that like. Not right. many other movies make you feel like I can't really explain it, but you just have that feeling that it's like it's kind of uncomfortable, but it's kind of like warm and fuzzy. Like it just creates this like ambiance that you, you don't get from other movies, and he just did such a good job of portraying that. Well, yeah, that's just what I mean. That's what his movies are great at, you know. Just the, the I feel like every single one of them makes you yeah. feel something different. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he just he does such a good job of like creating a story about like loneliness and love and like perfectly portraying like social anxiety, especially. 
Um, and, and it really comes down to a lot of like Sandler's performance too. Like he, Sandler like perfectly captures like what it feels like to be like anxiety and like the suffocation of it almost. And, it's, and it kind of makes, and because of like those low points that happen throughout the movie, it makes you feel like genuinely happy when something like good happens in his life. It makes you feel like hopeful for him. Right. Not enough Luis Guzman in this movie. He was so good in this movie. Even though he, he was, was just like a little side character to Adam Sandler. Oh, he was great. I loved him. His like little looks he gave him, like he was like, this guy's fucking crazy. Like, yeah, the pudding thing. He just but you can like also didn't. tell that like they had a little like bond, a little friendship going. It was nice, yeah. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Shut up! Shut up! Shut! 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 Shut up! When he came out and he called him a motherfucker one last time. <laughs> That's one of my I'm sorry. favorite scenes. <laughs> no, I apologize. Because no, uh, Sandler's character goes. Say that's that. That's and then he that. comes back out and he goes, he's like, that's that, that's that, that's that. I'm sorry, that's that. <laughs> just runs away. Oh, it's amazing. That's that. Go, go fuck yourself. Did you just say go fuck myself? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> okay. Completely out of nowhere, like, Adam Sandler just all of a sudden turning it on and whipping those four dudes was oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. What a beast. That yeah. was a big, that was a fist pump moment. Yeah, and like, and like my favorite quote from this movie is when he says, I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. I think he says that right to, right to um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's face. And you can really... No, no, no. Oh, yeah, he does, yeah, he does, yeah, he does. Yeah, I think that's when he says it. Um, but then after that, you see him just get so strong and like he feels invincible. And I feel like that like perfectly portrays what it's like to like fall in love almost. Like you just feel invincible and like empowered about everything and he perfectly portrays that when he just whips those four guys with that iron edge he punches that dude in the face and grabs the tire iron out of the air and then flips it and starts going crazy on him i was like is somebody dead like you hit that guy straight in the head as hard as you could with a tire iron and you're clearly very strong like hang on it's so funny it's so it's so it's so weird and it's so interesting. <laughs> like, it's hard to put it into words, which is great when you're doing a talk show about movies. <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of like the intrigue of this film is that it is so weird and it's just out there. Right, it is hard we, to put into words. Do you want to give the Superman theory? I think you your your idea of it is different than mine, but go ahead. Um. Well, yeah, I, I saw this, like, the last time I watched it, and it, I'm not into, like, conspiracy theories or, like, theories about movies, but this one is pretty convincing to me. Um, this is just from uh, an article I saw about it, so these aren't, like, my original thoughts or anything, but it's out there. A lot of people have talked about this Superman theory um, with this punch drunk love, um, and it's that this basically this whole story is a Superman story of like Adam Sandler uh, being Superman. Um, some of the reasons why, I mean, obviously he's like a socially awkward, like super awkward dude who doesn't fit in with anyone else. He's very like alienated. He, you can always see him being like not from this planet. Um, I think the big thing is he wears a blue suit and a red tie throughout the entire movie. Very Superman-like. Um, when he breaks the unbreakable plunger, superhuman strength, maybe. Um 
I also saw something about the uh, the Seven Sisters is the name of like a star cluster called like Pleiades or something like that. Um, I guess it's related to Superman. Um, his ability to fly, he's taking advantage of the frequent flyer system so he can fly forever. The girlfriend or the the, the lover lady's name is Lena Lenyard or Lenard, I think Lena Lenard, which is very similar to Lois Lane. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of Superman ties to this movie. Which is uh, very interesting and very convincing. What do you so, think? I definitely think there are references. The blue suit, um, the f- the free air miles he can fly anywhere. Lena's name is a big one. You know, it's yeah. always Lois Lane or the other uh, Lara. Her name? What's her name? The other Superman side character that he's in, Lana Lang. Lana Lang oh, right, and Lois right. Lane. Lana Lang, Lois Lane. You know that whole thing and. And Lena Leonard. But, and then also there's a shot where Lena is holding Barry and her red dress looks like a cape off of his blue suit, mm. you know? And, and that scene where he, like, tries to fly and it kind of looks like he's flying for a second. It, he jumps off the that balcony when he's being chased and it looks Superman like he's trying pose. to fly. He does, yeah, he does the Superman pose. I guess realized holding my arms out isn't really a great cue for anybody listening <laughs> to the podcast. Um, and... I don't know if it's saying he is Superman. I think it's more it's kind of a reference, you know, maybe PTA is just a big Superman guy or it's just like a the even the this the weakest can be strong, you know, kind of thing. I don't yeah. say, think it's saying he is Superman. I think it's references. No, no, I think it's just saying it, it has a similar Superman story to it of like kind of this lonely guy who's not from this planet or feels like he's not from this planet and him becoming um something else becoming in power becoming happy with himself hmm. um but yeah it is very interesting all the the similarities to it but who knows maybe it, it has nothing to do with superman i'm gonna do some research and see if paul thomas anderson is a superman fan <laughs> oh paul thomas anderson's superman movie oh Ooh. I, uh, I don't know. If he can no. do whatever he wants, yes. Yes. But if he went to DC, eh, I don't know if they would give him free reign. Dude, DC is letting them do people do their thing now. Yeah, DC more than Marvel, but. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. That would be sick, though. I don't think he's ever going to do a superhero movie, though. I don't know. He loves Venom, too. <laughs> that is true. He's, that a, is he's true. A, clearly a very smart man. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, while while you're looking that up, I'll I'll list off some of my favorite scenes. Um, I okay. love the uh, the supermarket scene when he's dancing in the in the yeah, house that, when they're collecting mm-hmm. pudding. Oh, you can just feel how like happy he is in that moment, and uh, and apparently okay. that whole scene was improvised. Adam Sandler just did that. And, oh, my God, he just nailed the dancing so well. I had a huge smile on my face that whole scene. Um, another scene that I loved, which I also think is, like, one of the most relatable, is, like, when Barry asks the, uh, the dentist if it's uh, if it's normal to randomly cry, and then he just starts crying. <laughs> oh, oh like, I felt it, so sad. It's, it's, like, so funny, but it's also just so, like, depressing and realistic, too. Like, oh, it's so sad. But, yeah, I love the line after. He just goes, Barry, I'm a dentist. Yeah. (laughs) 
And then later in the movie, when you find out that he told the sisters about it, oh, you just feel so bad for him. Yeah, I, I was like, I know he's not his actual doctor, but you got to have a little pa- doctor-patient confidentiality here, man. Like, don't tell the guy. I mean, he came to you in a genuine moment. Yeah. And your asshat is just going to fucking tell them? Like, what are you doing? But also, right before that, he did break three of his windows. <laughs> okay, but just... Yeah, but everybody knew that he wasn't feeling himself in that moment. Like, he didn't need to say that he had a meltdown. Right. Yeah, I know. It's very, uh, very upsetting to watch, but almost very relatable. I feel like we've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. What, do you have anything else on your list of scenes? Um... I mean, just all the Philip Seymour Hoffman. I wish he was in this more because he was just freaking incredible. He his gave it his all. He's got what two or three scenes. Um, I think it's the first one when he sends the group of brothers after Barry, and then the phone uh, Mm -hmm. conversation, and then the end. But I think so. I do. I mean, it's one of those things where I wish he was in it more. But it's also like though he was able to just go all out for those three scenes, and that's what makes it so great. It's like, uh, this is, I think, a weird comparison to draw it to. It's like Will Ferrell in Wedding Crashers, where he's amazing in that one mm. five-minute scene, but any more would be too much. Fair. Yeah. Also, chucked you. Um, <laughs> um, for our viewers and for you, if you haven't seen it, there are some deleted scenes of Philip Seymour Hoffman and Punch Drunk Love on YouTube, which you can check out, which are as hilarious as the movie. Yeah, dude. Oh, man. Just another scene that made me wildly uncomfortable was when he was on the phone with the phone sex line and like mm. past the social security stuff when he was just like, oh, it was ew, it made me cringe. Ugh. Yeah, it is tough to watch, but you just um, feel his loneliness in that scene when she called him when jo- uh, the, the name she gave him was Georgia called him. Before he went to work, I thought it was for a second. I was like, "Oh wait, maybe she just like liked him." And then I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> oh god, no!" It's such a quick like. Dr- She's like, "Hey, I just wanted to talk to you before you went to work. How about giving me money?" And I was like, oh, "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can kind of see it coming, but it's sad. You hope it the is, best it's for very him. Sad. Mm. Um, I also just loved any scene with, I mean, basically the whole movie, John Bryan's score, especially during like the love scenes, uh, the strings, and like he loves me rendition. Oh, so freaking good. Is, um, okay, no, you get it. You get it. No, I I had nothing else. I was going to also mention like the the awkward and sporadic drums and the chaotic scenes were so well done too. Apparently he worked on this movie before they even shot it. And then they kind of shot the scenes to the score, which is like the opposite of what usually happens. Oh, what I read was that they were doing it all at the same time. And so he would. Well, like, yeah, it was some before and like some after. But yeah, it, it was it's a very like integrated process, which usually does not happen. Yeah, it was. I think it was he was working on it while watching it. And then they would put scores. He composed the music for the film while filming was taking place. Experimenting with tones and sounds, making particular note of what to write, what to, of my God, of to what writer and director Paul Thomas Anderson was responding to because he played the score on set and helped influence the tone of the film. Exactly, yeah. It was a weird symbiotic relationship. Yeah. What I was going to say 
when I when I accidentally cut you off was um is the new phone sex line just those girl ASMR girls on Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. I don't know. I thought it was funny. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, I see it on Reddit all the time. It's just like somebody like em- trying to embarrass like some girl on Twitch they're mad at. It's really funny. Mm. Um, man, <sighs> Emily Watson was good in the movie. Although, I think she put up, like, I was, like, Emily Watson's character, like, you gotta be giving this guy the side eye, right? Like, he flew all the way to he made up a business conference in Hawaii that he didn't have. And then she was like, so where's your hotel? And he's like, I don't have one. When's your conference? There isn't one. Well, the thing is, hear- I feel like something was a little off about her, too. Yeah. And I think and that I, was the point. I think she was also, she said that she's been single for six months and is also divorced. Yeah. And so she's clearly lonely, too. And it's two lonely people finding each other, which is the point of it. But also, like, all right, hang on. Let's backtrack. Why did this guy have so much pudding? <laughs> like, hang on. She saw the pudding, and yeah, he wouldn't tell you why. <laughs> anything. The well, harmonium. She said, the, <laughs> the phone going off the... 20 times. Oh, I'm my talking God. Talking to the sex worker. The, the score in that scene, and uh, the phone's yeah. going <laughs> off. and <laughs> Dude, you're going to give me a panic attack. That actually just, like, made chills run down my body. It is the most, one of the most panicked I've ever, like, moments I've been the most panicked for in, in a movie. Like, Ugh. the noise of the score and the phone and Luis Guzman, like, Barry, the phone's for you. Like, the and then everybody's asking him about the pudding and he's running around the office and the forklift runs into the wall. And I'm just like, everybody, everything needs to stop. I need to <laughs> com- decompress. I'm being overstimulated. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, you just feel what's going on in his mind. He's getting Could so you- nervous. Could you imagine that in a movie theater with the surround sound? Like, yeah. I, oh my God, that might make me have a panic attack. Like, <laughs> in the movie theater. Very similar to Uncut Gems in that way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Safdie um, brothers have said that this movie has inspired Uncut Gems a lot. Right. Although, I do think the Adam Sandler role is very, very different. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I think they, they took different. some things, obviously, from this movie. Both of them are weird fucks, and that's, that's, that's the main <laughs> takeaway. Um, oh, man. And Julia Fox is a little bit of an upgrade from... <laughs> no shots at Emily Watson, but... Uh-huh. Um, you got anything else on this movie? I think I'm about tapped out. Um, no, I mean, I, I just love this movie. There's something about it, too. man, that just it gives me that feeling. Uh, I'll, never, I'll never get tired of this. It's a yeah, it's a very draining movie I think to watch and think about. Yeah, and, and I think once you watch it again, you'll have like a right. kind of new perspective on it. No, for sure, and it's not it's not even something that I wouldn't say is rewatchable. Like I will definitely be returning to this movie. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's it's it takes a lot out of you. So I'm probably yeah. it's probably going to be like a year before I watch this movie again, but I definitely will watch it again. No, yeah, it's a huge range of emotions. That are exaggerated in your face. Yeah, it's a great watch. It definitely makes you feel a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So to wrap up next week, and uh, we, we we might have to talk uh, next week with Thanksgiving. We might have to take our first break 
honestly. But that's something we'll talk about off pod, Mecca and Mouse. Cause, like, oh, I forgot Thanksgiving's that, next yeah, week. Yeah, Wednesday is a little busy, so we might have to, like, figure out another time to record and upload. Like, I'm maybe, like, even, like, two for the first week of December. Mm. If, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure fi- it out. We'll keep we'll figure out scheduling stuff. But we definitely will finish out PTA month, even if we have to dip into our Christmas movie month. Mm-hmm. Um, so our next week's poll is There Will Be Blood, The Master, Phantom Thread, and Inherent Vice. We made this month to do No Country for Old Men versus There Will Be Blood pretty much. But like after... It's up to you guys. It's up to yeah, the audience. It, it, it totally is. and Don't feel other, pressured. No, and I totally thought Boogie Nights was going to win, and I was pleasantly surprised that Punch Drunk Love won because I was like, oh, man, I get to watch a movie that I haven't seen before, and that's always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, there Will Be Blood is the only movie that I've seen that's on this list this week, so like, if something else wins, I am loving it. Um, and we can still talk There Will Be Blood a little bit. Like We can just yeah. make that its own segment. So really, uh, you know, it's, uh, th- th- that's the point of this podcast is we want the people to choose what they want to hear about. And yep. also, there's always future months. We, I imagine we will. This is not will not be the last time we will return to Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. All right, it was a fun one. Punch Drunk Love, great movie. Punch Drunk Love, man. You got I need some thoughts? of that. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> the late night feels are getting the Jacob. Oh no, <laughs> I'm gonna wrap this up now before it gets worse. Um, Jacob, I appreciate you talking about another movie with me. I can't wait to do it again. Till next time. Till next time, buddy. Uh